I'm talking, they're going to bring up, be bringing up a prop behind me. And, and let me explain it. How many of you have never seen Home Improvement? Wow. So everybody knows who Wilson is. All right. How many of you ever wish that they would put in Wilson's mouth a quote from Jesus? He was always quoting Buddha, something Hindu, something, some ism that was Eastern and philosophical ramblings and never would quote Jesus. I always wish that Wilson would say something about Jesus. So today I'm going to fulfill my fantasy. Because there is Wilson. And I'm just going to pretend every once in a while that he's quoting Jesus because Boy, the, the, the viewership they had for that show, one verse from Jesus would have saved half the country. But anyway, so we're going we're gonna to look today at home improvement. And I appreciate the job that uh, the young people did on this. Isn't that good? So give, give them a hand of appreciation. I want to focus on the home. Now, it doesn't matter today if you're married or single. Because the principles we're going to be sharing are universal. And if you're single, the chances are good that one day you'll probably be married. And so you need this anyway. But if not, you still relate to people. And you're going to need these principles. But I do want to look at the home. And I'm going to quote Psalms 101 verse 2 from three different versions. Because it's so powerful that I wanted us to really get what is on the psalmist's heart here. So... Let's begin with uh, this first one, Psalms 101, verse 2. He says, I will be careful to live a blameless life, says David. Then look what he wants. When will you come to help me? I need your help, Lord. He says, I will lead a life of integrity. Where, everyone? In my own home, under my own roof. I want God's help. And if I want God's help, I want him to know he's invited into my home. Now, let's look at the next one. This is the Message Bible. Quote, I'm finding my way down the road of right living. But how long before you show up? I'm doing the very best I can, and I'm doing it where? At home, where it counts. All right? He's wanting a visitation from God. And he said a visitation from God is going to begin in the home. Not in the church, in the home. Because whatever you've got in your home, you bring to the church. Now, here's another one. New life version. I will be careful to live a life without blame. When will you come to me? I will walk where? Within my house. With a right and a good heart. So he's saying, Lord, I'm going to get right with you and I'm going to begin in my home. Now let's pray, Father. Thank you for your word. I pray for healing on the homes in this place. And healing in the homes, listening by radio, watching by video, that, Lord, you will heal homes because they're under attack, Lord. And I pray that you will rebuke the devourer off of our homes. I'm asking you to cancel satanic assignments off of our home and usher in your presence 
whether we're single living alone or whether we are with a family, we still need you in our home and to be glorified in our house. So this is our prayer, Lord. Now will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, heal my home, touch my home, bring revival to my house. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I believe God heard that prayer. Let me talk to you about this today. Now in this psalm, we have David telling us how he intended to run his household and also to govern his kingdom. But his home came first, first home, then kingdom. Now, I didn't know this till I was getting ready for this message, but Psalms 101 has been called historically the householder's psalm. The householder's psalm, the psalm more focused on the home than any of the others. Now, the message of Psalms 101 is simple. Godliness must begin at home. And a move of God begins at home. Our first duties toward God are those within our own house. If we don't have a godly heart at home, we're not going to have a godly heart outside of home. Now, let me ask you a, a million dollar question today. It's a tough one. It's not always easy to answer. How's your home life coming along? If we were to put a thermometer in your home that measured spiritual health, how would your home fare? Would it have a temperature? Would it be 32 degrees, God's frozen chosen living inside? Or would it be in triple digit, red hot, spiritual fervency doing great? Or somewhere in between or a little bit of both? What is the condition of your home, spiritually speaking? And by the way, I really appreciate turning off the blackberries, strawberries, raspberries, and anything that'll ring. And if your children begin to act up and move around, don't let your children wander around. Keep a rein on them because people are here to hear the word of God. And I say that preemptively. If they act up, take them outside and minister to them and then bring them back in. Okay? The people have come a long way to hear the word today. So let's honor God's presence here. Now, is your godliness at home as apparent as it is in the church? Do you look as spiritual at home as you do in the church? Let's face it, nobody knows us better than the people at home, right? Commentator Matthew Henry writes these words, quote, do you sing in the choir and sin in the house? Are you a saint abroad and a devil at home? Guess what? What we are in the home is what we are indeed. I'm going to say that again. What we are at home is who we are indeed. Matthew Henry goes on to say, he cannot be a good king whose palace is the haunt of vice, nor a true saint whose habitation is a scene of strife, nor a faithful minister whose household dreads his appearance at the door. As David longed for a visitation from God, he knew that a visit from God really needs to begin at home. We need God moving in our homes. We, we need revival in our homes. We need worship in our homes. We need the peace of God in our homes. We need the word of God reigning in our homes. We need the name of Jesus magnified in our homes. We need the homes to be places that the devil truly fears. That's what we need in our homes. 
David's prayer in a nutshell was this, God in my house, may God be in my house. Revival begins at home. If we're having a revival at home, if all of you had left a home this morning, all of us together from a home that was in revival, look what would happen in these services. Boy, we'd be in Pentecost immediately. Instead, we drag in and say, Patrick, you, you better preach me up. Hey, let me tell you something. God's about to invade our homes. God's about to invade our homes. David makes it clear in the Psalm that he was intent on protecting his home. He's very clear. He says in verses three and four, he commits to inward righteousness by maintaining purity of eye. He says, quote, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Verse three. Then he takes a stand against a backslidden heart. I hate the work of those who fall away. He says, it shall not cling to me. My heart in my home will not be a heart that is backsliding. I will have a fervent, true, genuine heart for God in the home when nobody's looking. When the doors are shut and the curtains are drawn, I'm going to glorify God in my house. Who I am at church is who I am at home. In verses 5 and 7, he focuses on the outside by resolving to keep the influence of unseemly characters far from his door. And he names them the slanderer, the arrogant, the deceiver, and the liar will not be welcome. He says, none of these influences are getting into my home. In verse six, he commits to surrounding his home with positive influences, going so far as to only hire a faithful man to work on his property. He said, I'm only going to hire the faithful of the land to work at my home. Of course, he didn't have TV where the slanderer and the arrogant and the deceiver and the liar comes into our living rooms every single day. I wonder what David would have done with a TV. I wonder what Jesus would have done with a TV. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would have done with a TV, or at least most of what's on it. That's free. I detest that box. Most of what's on it. In verse 6, he commits to surrounding his home with positive influences. He says, he says, I'm not only the man of the house, but I'm the protector. I'm the guard. I'm the watchman at the wall. That's my place. And sir, you, the head of the home, you are the protector, the watchman, the guard. And if you've got a single parent home and, and dear sister, you're the one, you're the parent. You're still the watchman. You're the guard. You're the protector, not just the parent in the home. I tell you, the devil's trying to get into every house in this sanctuary. There are satanic assignments against homes, satanic assignments against marriages, satanic assignments against the finances, because the devil knows if I can destroy the home, I can destroy the testimony. We've got to understand that when we're a Christian home, Christian marriage, Christian family, there's a great big target painted on us and Satan's targeted us, but good news, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But we've got to get smart about it. We really do need to get smart about our home because that's where God wants to glorify himself. Why did, why did David care so much about the home? Because our home is important in every single thing in life. If we're defeated at home, we're essentially defeated everywhere. 
Because if you leave your home defeated, you drag it with you everywhere you go that day. If your home is full of turmoil, chaos, strife, criticism, no joy, arguing, anger, which I'm going to talk about today, you carry that ball and chain with you everywhere you go. It's on your countenance, it's in your testimony. It takes the, it takes the wind out of your sails. And, and believe me, it's affecting you. And so we've got to win the victory first at the home, not in the church, but in the home. The church is just a bunch of families gathered together. The home is the training camp for our faith. It's the first place we learn to exercise forgiveness, patience, unconditional love, long-suffering mercy. Where are you going to learn it more than at the home where you live with people 24-7? You've got to learn to forgive. You've got to learn to be patient. You've got to learn to deal with anger. You've got to learn all these things. Now, as David resolved to protect his household, we've also got to resolve that we're going to watch out for the enemies that Satan has sent against our home. Now, some of the enemies and some of the issues I'm going to deal with in the next few weeks are these, anger and bitterness. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the danger of anger. Second, next week, communication breakup, communication breakdown, how to understand each other. 98% of problems in the home are communication-based. The week after, looking at the root cause of arguments, I'm going to show you how to have a good fight. All right. And then I'm going to have, we're going to have a funeral service one Sunday and we're going to, we're going to bury the long overdue, worn out past. We're going to learn to let the past be the past. Why? Because it's past. We're going to learn to leave it here and walk out and never bring it up again. Amen. We're going to learn how to not get historical and hysterical. We get hysterical, then we get historical. You know, the, you know, you know, but, but I'm, I'm not going there because I'll spend all my time there and mess up today. So, but don't miss it. How to avoid going historical and hysterical. Now today, the danger of anger. We live in what's been called a, a, the age of rage. It is the age of rage. Road rage. Rage everywhere. Turn on the TV and watch the news. All you see is people offended, angry, walking around with chips on their shoulder, mad about this, mad about that, spitting, spewing, always mad, always angry, and that bleeds over into the home. Anger is one of the major sources of stress in the home. Anger. In marriage and in the home, I really believe anger rivals lust as a killer of marriages in the home. Now, let me give you a little bit of a sense of relief. Everybody gets angry. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to get angry. Did you know that? Be angry. Gives us permission right there. Be angry, but sin not. Everybody gets angry. The Bible says we ought to handle it wisely. Here's what Paul said, quote, go ahead and be angry, but don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. None of us, if we heard a knock on the door and looked out through the peephole and saw somebody standing there with a gun and a knife dressed in black with a hood over their face, would we even think about unlocking the door and letting them in? And yet, when we walk around with angry hearts in our home, we're opening the door wide for the thief and the murderer and the liar and the killer called the devil to walk into our homes and wreak havoc because we're walking around angry instead of 
walking in the love and the peace of God. Paul says, go ahead and be angry. Just don't go to sleep on it. Don't stay that way. Because if you do, you give the devil an opening into your home. And we don't want the devil any more than we want a six-foot western diamondback rattlesnake in our living room. Do we want the devil to have a foothold on our home? Some people literally draw energy from anger. They, they walk around intentionally stoking anger because anger gives them a sort of an energy, a, a thrust in life. They, they live and they feed off of anger. Yet somebody wrote, it's tantalizing to feed on our anger. But in doing so, you are wolfing down yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Scripture identifies two kinds of anger that I really believe people walk around in their homes in. Angry people. Let me tell you, folks, there's a lot of angry Christians. They love the Lord, but something way back happened. They got hurt. They got wronged. Or they were around somebody that just walked in anger all the time, and they learned their ways. And there are angry Christians. They're angry. They're angry in their home. They're angry at the job. They're angry driving down the highway. They're mad at life, sometimes mad at God. They, they, they lash out at different things, but the bottom line is they just have a spirit of anger that's operating in their life. Now, there's two different kinds of anger that operate in an individual according to the Bible. The first is a Greek word called orge. Orge means a settled indignation. This anger is the kind of anger that simmers beneath the surface like lava beneath a volcano that hasn't yet erupted. It's the type of anger that you find all the time seeking out revenge. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get never. I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. I'm going to get you someday. I'm going to find you. I'm looking for you. And when they walk in the sanctuary, they get the eye from you. Isn't that right, Wilson? You should be forgiving one another. There we go. He said it. Now, uh, orge anger is the grudge-holding, unforgiving, bitter kind of anger. Listen, you don't have to be 10 years old to have it, to nurse it, to rehearse it. That bitter kind of anger, unforgiving. Teenagers walk around with this a lot, mad at the parents, mad at the authorities, mad at everybody, mad at life. See, what we don't understand is when we walk in anger, it opens the door for Satan to come in and lead us into things that we would never have done before. Anger is a, is a gateway. It's a doorway. And orge kind of anger can last a lifetime. There are people who live and die angry. They live and die mad. I've known a few. They've been mad all their life. They've never known anything else. They're just angry people. They're just angry. You don't have to talk to them long for it spills out. It just erupts from them if you talk to them just for a little bit. How sad to live your life angry, to live your life mad instead of glad, instead of having joy. And this orge anger, one little thing that it pulls off is it leads some people into passive aggressive behavior. Passive aggressive, especially in the home, catch this, passive aggressive behavior happens 
When we indirectly express negative feelings, indirectly, subtly, instead of openly addressing them. We're Christians, so we can't be walking around erupting, but we're angry, so how do I get it out? Well, it comes out in little, subtle ways, and there is a disconnect. If you live with a passive-aggressive person very long who's in passive-aggressive anger, there's a disconnect between what a passive-aggressive person says and what they end up doing. So in the home, a spouse pretends that he or she is not angry, but at the same time, they're venting anger in covert ways. It looks like this. He or she says, do you forgive me? Yes, dear, is the reply. Everything is fine. And they burn your dinner. I hope you enjoy this. I forgive you. Or how about this one? Are we, are we okay? Yes, they reply, I feel so much better. And then they don't talk to you for a week. You get this silent treatment. You get the Cold War at home. Passive aggressive behavior. Because, listen, if you've got anger in you, it's going to come out. It's going to come out one way or the other. It's going to get out. The second kind of anger is thumos. Thumos. That's the Greek word. It refers to an angry outburst. This is the road rage kind of anger, the scorched earth kind of anger. If you're around me when I blow, you better pray because you're going to be scorched. It quickly blazes up and just as quickly it subsides. This person is a walking, talking hurricane. Say or do the wrong thing and the home is filled with the storm of their rage. The pets run and hide and the kids lock themselves in the bedroom. They know you. So you can either have, you can either have this simmering underneath anger you walk around with all the time or you can blow. But either way, anger is corrosive to a marriage. It's corrosive to the home. It's corrosive to relationships. And guess what? It's corrosive to your body and your life. Anger will ulcerate your body. It'll fill your stomach full of ulcers. It'll raise your blood pressure. It'll shorten your lifespan. It'll take your sleep away from you. Anger will destroy the quality and the quantity of your days. James said, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. The continual pelting of the raindrops of anger slowly rushed away the joy and the strength of your household because there's somebody mad in there. Somebody that I'm really afraid is going to blow or somebody that I know is sending me mixed signals and is still mad at me. There's anger. There is a rattlesnake in the living room. There's anger in the house. Now, Here's the good news. The good news is that the causes of anger can be identified and successfully removed. Amen. Now, you're going to have to make up your mind. First of all, be honest with yourself. And are you an angry person? Do you blow easy? Are you always walking around ticked about something? Mad? Simmering underneath? Well, let me give you two main causes for anger in the home. Here's the first one. Here's a big one. Are you ready? Not getting our way. Not getting our way. 
I think, now you say, well, that, I don't think that's mine. Well, hang on. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> Not getting our way. See, Paul said, when I was a, became a man, I put away childish things. But there are people who are 40, 50, 60, 30, ought to be adults, but they walk around with this attitude. Here it is. It's all about me. And as long as I get what I want, hang on, y'all. I haven't even finished yet. We got clappers. I hope you're alone. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Or we're going to get a phone call after church. Or there's a car pulled over on the side of the highway and they're, they're duking it out. <laughs> I'm going to start over. Here's the attitude that these people have. It's all about me. And as long as I get what I want, when I want it, we're going to get along just fine. Now, what does a child do? I want mine. And if I don't get mine, I'm going to throw a tantrum. What's the parent's job? To teach them that that's not the way you deal with life. But sometimes that's not done. And so junior turns into senior and gets married and has a family and they've only learned one thing I get my way it's my way or the highway and if you don't do it my way we got trouble coming let me tell you something if that's you don't get married don't do it I'm not kidding let me give you a news flash marriage and the home are not all about you And your right to have all your needs met. That's the message the world gives us. We read movie stars divorcing all the time. What do they say? Well, you know, it just wasn't meeting my needs. It just wasn't meeting my needs. It was all about me and myself and I. See, we have a Godhead we worship. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But the world has another one. Me, myself, and I. And they worship at the altar of me, myself, and I. But not Christians. And so the world gives us this message. If your needs aren't being met, it's all about you. You need to get out. And when our perceived rights are violated, I've got a right to this, a right to that, right to go here, right to do this, right to do that. I'm earning the money, so I've got the right to do what I want. We get angry. But the Bible teaches that life, marriage, and the home are about this. Learning the fine art of unselfishness. As a matter of fact, you want to get rid of unselfishness? Get married. Because it'll get rid of it out of you at warp speed. Or your relationship will be in trouble. Now, as a Christian, here's what it comes down to. The Bible says that our model is not the world. Be not conformed, put into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. What is the renewing of the mind? When you learn the way Jesus thinks, acts, talks, lives, and you take it onto yourself. The Bible says that our model is Jesus. Listen to what he did. Ephesians 5.25 says Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Gave himself. For her. If Jesus had been selfish, 
we wouldn't be here. We'd be lost in our sins, going straight to a devil's hell. Probably wouldn't even be a world right now. It would have imploded by now. John echoed the same thought, saying, He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives, listen to this, for the brethren. Well, who's the brethren? Who's the closest brethren to us? Family. We ought to lay down. Wait a minute, that's not my philosophy. I thought they were going to lay it down for me. But no. To get rid of anger in the home, we need to learn to give up our rights. But I've got a right to that TV show. I've got a right to that meal. I've got a right to this and that and the other. No, you don't. Who told you that? Well, Pastor Jeff, now you're going into a zone that I don't witness to. (laughs) I want you to listen to this. Jesus is looking at Pilate who had said to him, don't you know that I could take you out right now? Jesus said, contraire. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels and you would be toast? 12 legions being 70,000 angels. 70,000 angels and you, Pilate, would cease to exist. You would be an ash pile. But you know what? I don't. I can, but I won't. I could, but I shan't. Why? Because I'm going to have to lay down my life for the world. That's the only way this is going to work. So I will not use my right to call the angels to come rescue me. And believe me, they were perched on heaven's edge, watching this scene, swords drawn, waiting for one word. So he says in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, think about this in relation to the home. Let nothing be done through selfishness, but let each person consider others more important than himself. Whoa! Consider others more important than me? What are you talking about? Didn't say more valuable than... It didn't say you're supposed to be walking around with an inferiority complex. It said, I want you to consider the needs of others as being more pressing than your own. In other words, live unselfishly. So clearly, it's not all about me. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others in the home. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. How did Jesus think that way? He said, your needs are more important than mine. I will lay down my life. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to lay down everything for you because I want to redeem you. And he says, let that mind be in you. Give up your rights. Lay down your life in the home. Can you imagine how many arguments would never happen if somebody simply said, that's okay, I don't have to have my way? You know why there'd be no arguments? They'd all be fainted on the floor. (laughs) Did he just say, I don't have to have it my way? 
Because that just kills an argument. I don't have to have it my way. Well, I I thought you were really big on getting your, no, hey, God takes care of me. I don't have to have it my way. Watch your show. Or I'll eat, I'll eat that hideous stuff you eat. (laughs) I I don't like, you know, I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like jalapenos on pizzas and all that, but, but go ahead, go ahead. I don't have to have it my way. I'll just pick them off. That's all right. I mean, listen, churches split over what color the carpet's going to be. I mean, we got to get past this stuff, folks. So you say, I don't have to have it my way. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's the way he thought. That, 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 that settles so many things right there. But here's the second cause and the last cause of anger in the home. Failed expectations. Or, this is not what I signed up for. Here we have the person that entered marriage with a list of expectations that were not grounded in reality. Most couples, I'm going to say most, most, all that I've ever known, soon discover the marriage is not the love boat. The love boat. (laughs) That's not it. With happy music playing in the background and romance magically ironing out all the wrinkles that pop up every once in a great while. Sometimes marriage is more like a jet ski. <laughs> Scary, bumpy, unpredictable. Other times it's like a canoe. You're both rowing hard for every inch you gain. Sometimes it's like the Titanic. We hit an iceberg and we are going down. And guess what? Good news. Sometimes it is the love boat. Life is good. The scenery is breathtaking. And you wonder if it could get any better than this. But here's the truth. It's going to be all four in a mix. Jet ski one day. Canoe another season. Titanic another season. Love boat. Another season. If we think our high expectations are usually dashed. If we think it's going to be good and perfect just because we're in love, those expectations are dashed on the rocks of reality and we become angry people. So either walking around blown up if anger is there or simmering underneath. Let me give you three quick tips on dealing with it. If there's anger in your home or anger in your life, one, own up to it. Own up to it. Don't pull the passive-aggressive stuff. We see it. We pick up on it. We're not stupid. You say you're not mad, but you're acting mad. You're telling me everything's okay, but clearly it's not. Own up to it. Have a little sit-down. If you need a mediator, get one. If you need a bodyguard, get one. (laughs) And just say, (laughs) and just say, uh, I'm angry. There's this and there's that, and I'm angry. And, and I don't want to hide anymore. I'm, I'm angry. What are you angry about? Let's talk about it. Confess your faults one to another, James wrote. Pray for one another that you may be healed. There should never be a secret between you and your spouse. If you're married, never, be a, never let a secret get in between the two of you. Keep an open book. Satan moves in the dark corners of secrets. Don't let a secret get in. Get it out and get it out fast and let the chips fall and give it to God 
Confess your faults to one another. Second, deal with anger quickly. Don't let anger sit and simmer. Don't let the sun set, as we've already said, and with you still angry. I did a marriage a while back, and there was an a, a old preacher there in his 80s, I guess, low 80s. He'd been married like 60-something years or 60 years, long time. And I said, what's your secret? And he said, the guy that married us told me one thing, and I always observed it. What was that? He's told us, never go to bed angry. He said, we've always observed that. Sometimes we had some real late nights. <laughs> but we've always observed it. Because you go to bed angry, you wake up settled in the anger. And you start nursing it, rehearsing it, and it starts cursing you. So you've got to get rid of it. So forgive each other quickly. So I don't feel like forgiving. I never feel like forgiving. Welcome to the club. I'm mad. I want Texas justice. Isn't that right, Wilson? That's right. I want Texas justice. And then forgive and repent. While they're down there. But God says, no, you forgive each other quickly. You say, well, what do I do if I don't feel like it? Say it. But aren't I supposed to feel it? You're not going to feel it. You're mad. Hello. Well, isn't that kind of lying? No, you're obeying God. Say it. I forgive you. I forgive you. It's easier than the second time and third time. You may have to say it 30 times in a day. But do it. Forgiveness will pull the pin out of the grenade of anger. It'll, it'll defuse anger quicker than anything. Forgive. Because God forgave you. Last thing, learn the things that trigger your anger. What is it that sets you off? You're not walking around just getting mad to be mad. Something is setting it off. Rejection. Failed expectations. Not getting your way. Something being withheld from you. Loss. Something triggers it. You've got to take the gun out of the devil's hand. So here's how you do it. All right, I notice that rush hour traffic really triggers it. How can anybody go this slow? This is not a highway. It's a no way. The only way it's a highway is you have plenty of time to say. So what triggers it? So I have to learn. I know what the devil's going to do. He's going to come at that. So I'm going to reinforce that area with the scripture. And I'm going to learn a different response because anger is a learned response. The Bible says in closing, don't even hang around with an angry man. Lest you learn his ways and get a snare for your soul. So, so anger is learned. It's learned. And you've got to get a hold of it. And, and say, well, I'm going to learn a different response. So I'm going, to, I'm going to respond differently. And you retrain yourself. And you don't respond in anger anymore. So forgive quickly. Deal with it quickly. Learn the triggers. And if you're living with somebody, you're married tell each other the trigger so that they can try their best to not pull the trigger, but honor an area that's a soft spot for you. 
Can we stand together today? Now, what I want to do is I want to pray for us. Can I tell you that your anger was dealt with on the cross? Jesus on the cross dealt with your anger problem. He took all the wrath of God on himself. And at the cross is your solution for everything you need. It's at the cross. I wonder if everybody in here today has taken advantage of the forgiveness of the cross. What a horrible place to be in, carrying around all kinds of guilt. And never experiencing forgiveness. How angry you could become. But knowing that God forgave you releases that anger, so much of it. So I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment. You can say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know that I've been to the cross and ask Christ into my heart. Turn to him by faith. Why would you leave today without doing it? Why would you go get in your car and drive away without doing it? The beginning of getting a handle on all these things we talked about today is Christ coming into your heart. Or you've been saved, but you've walked away, you've drifted. It might have even been anger that made you drift. An offense at somebody in church. Something made you trip and stumble. You got angry. Do you know that God wants you to get rid of that today? Why would you drive away carrying that anger with you? You can leave it here today. I want to do something. I want to pray for people. You know this was for you today. And I'm going to ask you, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I I want to come and I want to go to the cross and I want to begin to deal with these things through the power of Christ. Or, Pastor, I'm I'm saved, but I'm angry. I've, I've had anger. People hurt me, betrayed me, offended me, stabbed me in the back, did did me wrong. Church people. I want you to get rid of that anger today. It's infecting your life. And God wants to set you free. I want you to come down to the front. Just begin to slip out and say, I I want to deal with the anger. God's going to do divine surgery right in this altar. I want you to come now. Come quickly. We're going to get rid of anger. We're going to get rid of anger. God's already told me he's going to do divine surgery in this place today. And we're going to believe God to break the power of anger. Break it right off of your life. Some of you were abused emotionally, physically, sexually. And you've had a root of anger in you all these years. It's time to let it go. We're going to get set free today. Now I want you to pray this with me and say, Lord Jesus, I give you the anger in my heart. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for carrying all this anger around all these years that it's affected my home and it's affected my walk. Lord, I believe that on the cross, you took this anger from me. 
I forgive those who hurt me. Say it. Just say it. I don't care if you feel it. Say it. I forgive those that hurt me. And Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I pray that you will help the ones that abused me. That you will deliver them. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Now lift your hands to him for a moment. Just lift your hands up and say, Lord, I receive deliverance from this anger. And I receive the peace of God. The peace of God on my life. I am free today. Anger will no longer control me. Anger will no longer infect my home. I am a new man, new woman. I'm a new person today. In Jesus' name. 